Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Great, well, good evening, everybody. I hope you're all well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Richard. I'm the curate down the road at Holy Trinity, Borlane. And happy Easter. Happy Easter. There we are, it's beautiful. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you about Easter this evening, which is handy, really. And I guess the first thing I want to do is start with a question. And it might seem like a bit of an odd question, but the question is, what do you make of Easter? Now, I know it's quite a broad question, and there's a number of ways in which you could go with that. There's some people who might make of it in a way of saying, well, either it's good or I'm not interested. Could be here. You could be here and you say, I'm not interested in Easter. You're here to find out this evening. You're more than welcome, and it's great to have you. But that could be one way of going about it, saying, well, I think it's good, or I'm not interested, or I don't think it's good. But another way to think about it is in terms of how important is it? You see, there's some people who will categorise the different parts of their faith in different ways and say, this bit's the most important bit, this bit's the least important bit. I'm I'm really focused on this bit over here, but this bit over there, I'm not that fussed by. You see, quite often we can say, it's Easter, and we broadly know what we think we mean by that. But there's all sorts of questions around how we evaluate it and how we understand how important or otherwise it is. Now, I was thinking about this, And I was trying to figure out how to best maybe get us to think about how we understand Easter in terms of its importance and its faith in Christianity. And as I was thinking about how best to do that, I came across um, a podcast, and this will give you a bit of an insight into how I like to spend my free time when I tell you that I was listening to a podcast that was debating about the importance of religion within society more broadly. So that's the kind of thing I like to do with my free time. But within that podcast, there was an atheist who was on the side of saying, we don't really need religion. And the point that he was making was, there's lots of good stuff we can take from religion, but we can leave all the weird stuff. There's all sorts of good things we can take, but all the weird, miraculous bits we don't need. And here are some of the things that this atheist debater was saying that, as part of religion, we can take without needing to get all the weird stuff. So one of the things that this atheist debater was saying was he was saying that one of the good things about religion is that religions start off with the fact that we all need help. And he was like, that's a good thing. We can take that from religion. We don't have to believe any weird or any out there stuff in order to be able to say that religion teaches we need help and that's a good thing. He was saying that how religions teach us is helpful. He was saying that it does it by repetition, and it's religions, in his words, are obsessed with the fact that our minds are like sieves. We forget stuff all the time, so we need to repeat stuff over and over again. One that surprised me, religions arrange time and create calendars in such a way that we can come into contact with spiritual things more regularly. Uh, January, February, March stuff doesn't really do that. If we think about Lent or Advent, there's a way of organising time that brings us into contact with the religious more regularly. And there was a whole list of things that this atheist debater was saying, we can borrow all that from religion without going anywhere near any of the stuff that might be a bit weird. We don't need miracles or a god or anything like that. We can just take the bits we like and leave aside all the weird stuff, particularly the belief. And I think I found that that view is quite a popular one today. People say there's all sorts of stuff that 
we can get from religion. We can just leave the weird stuff. And this atheist debater, in talking about how good religion is, didn't go anywhere near Jesus. Went nowhere near it. And in fact, when he was questioned, and when someone on the opposite side said, what do you make of Jesus then? His response was somebody who said some good things sometimes, and his words had daddy issues. <laughs> that was his response for who Jesus was. Now, that is one way of thinking about and conceptualizing religion. I think this view is popular. However, what I want to say to us this evening is that whilst that is a way of thinking, I want to make really, 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 really clear that that way of thinking is completely at odds with how the Bible understands itself and how the Bible thinks of religion. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read as a passage from 1 Corinthians. It's different to the one that we've just heard read. We'll get to that one in a moment. But we're going to li- listen to a passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Forget what that atheist debater said. Listen to what this passage has to say. It says this, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, so straight away, we're talking about one of the weirdest things going. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, being crucified and then coming back from the dead to rescue us from our sins. That's what's being talked about there. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Do you hear that? Our, our, you know, there's no point in me doing this now. There's no point in you telling your friends about Jesus if Christ had not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have, been test- for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Jesus didn't raise, wasn't raised... The people who say that he was are lying. If we're we're testifying to the fact that Jesus was raised, but it isn't true, the people who say that are lying. Goes on to say, for if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, the forgiveness that so many people believe that God has for us, the forgiveness that God has isn't effective if Christ hasn't been raised. <clears throat> then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're at the ground zero of Christianity today. This is what it's about. The message that Jesus, God in human form, came to this earth, lived the life that we could only ever hope to live, died the death that should have been ours, but then rose again so that we could be invited into the relationship with God that we were always meant to have. That's the crux of Christianity. That's what it centers on. Of course, there's other bits of Christianity that are good and helpful. You know, it's nice that Christianity organizes time in nice ways for us and teaches us the importance of community. That's all good. I'm for that stuff. But it's not the point. The point is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. 
If that's not true, we're wasting our time. If it is, it changes everything. That's where we are today. Far from being some kind of peripheral event that we can take or leave, the resurrection of Jesus is front and center of the Christian faith. Without that, we don't have Christianity at all. I remember a few years ago in my uh, vicar training, we did what was called Schools Week, imaginatively named because we spent a week in a school. And within that time, um, it was basically a time where the RE teachers um, realized that they could have a week of not planning lessons because they could just put a load of vicars at the front and say, ask them questions, kids. Um, And they had a great time. And one of the children in the class asked us this question. They said, if the resurrection didn't happen, or if it turned out to be not true one day, what you believe, would you still be a Christian? And one of the people I was with, he's a very good friend of mine, said, yeah, I'd still be a Christian. There's all sorts of good stuff in there to learn from and that helps me and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, even if Jesus didn't die and rise, I'd still be a Christian. I stood there and I was like, I don't even think it's possible to be a Christian if Jesus didn't die and rise. I don't think that thing exists. We're at the central point of Christianity today. And whether you're a Christian here and you believe and follow Jesus, or whether you're someone who says, I'm not a Christian and I'm not interested, what I want everyone to go from here having heard today is that when we talk about Easter, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God in human form being crucified on the cross and three days later physically rising again. Not metaphorically, not spiritually, not in some way that just makes us feel nice, but actually rose from the dead, physically rose. That's what we're talking about. And so in case you missed it, this is central. But then the question is, why? Why is it central? Why out of everything is this, is today central? Why is it the point of Christianity now? There's, there's loads of ways in which we could go with this. But as I was thinking and as I was preparing, I thought that one of the key ways and one of the key reasons why this is so central for Christianity is to do, the, to do with all the things that conspired together that led to Jesus being killed. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I don't know if you've ever thought about just kind of run through in your mind or with your Bible, kind of flicking through the last few chapters of any of the Gospels and seeing all the things that happened in the run-up to Jesus being crucified. Let me, um, it's beautiful, let me um, run you through a few of them. It's a broad and varied list, but one of the first things that sprung to mind that played a key role in seeing Jesus crucified on the cross was the corrupt systems of government in his day. We see in the Gospels the moment where Pilate says he's done nothing wrong. I've no reason to crucify him. But my colleagues say that I should kill him. And the crowd say I should kill him. So let's kill him. Now I don't know if you've noticed, but talk about corrupt systems is rife in our world today. Try and find a more corrupt one than the one that killed Jesus. Corrupt systems, one of the key things that led to Jesus is death. The second one, money or the love of it and greed. Judas in Matthew 26 is 
bought out, he, he sells out for 30 pieces of silver, the equivalent to four months' wages in that society. He's made an offer he can't refuse financially. And the love of money gets a hold of Judas and causes him to do the unthinkable and betray Jesus, the one who's done nothing wrong. Greed has a role to play. One that we're not so familiar with talking about at the moment is the, the spiritual nature, the devil. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the devil entered into Judas and influenced his actions in such a way as to betray Jesus. I, um, I spoke at Ripon Cathedral recently and the passages I was given to speak on lent themselves to talking about the devil so I didn't just work it in for no reason but it was there so I was like, right, I'm going to hammer it. Um, you know, 15 minutes on the devil um, which I don't think they were expecting but they did seem to like so that's a bonus um, we don't talk about it but it's there the role of the devil was key in the crucifixion of Jesus what about relational breakdown when Peter denied Jesus three times when Jesus' followers fall asleep in the garden Matthew 26, 56 says, Then all the disciples abandoned him and ran away. They abandoned him and they ran away. Again, this is one, there's all, talk, all sorts of talk of loneliness in our society today. All sorts of talk about loneliness in our society today. And the breakdown of relationships between people who are meant to have the strongest relationships going. It's there in the crucifixion story, in the resurrection story of Jesus, and it conspires against him. And then what about the, the physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual pain and trauma that Jesus goes through? Psalm twenty-two seventeen talks about how, and that's, by the way, that Psalm 22 is the psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that same psalm, it says, all my bones are on display. Crucifixion was grim. It was really grim. And it hurt. Emotionally, psychologically, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Overwhelmed with sorrow. That's Jesus, the Son of God. His soul overwhelmed with sorrow. He was stripped, he was given a crown of thorns to where he was spat on, he was beaten. All that culminates in the point where on the cross he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now why do I mention all that? bit of a whistle-stop tour of all the horrible things that happened to Jesus. Why do I mention that? I mention it because the world threw everything that it could at Jesus, everything it could at him, in order to kill him. Such was its resistance to who he was and what he came to do. Threw all it could at him. And yet, despite the world doing its utmost to kill him, 
despite his doing its utmost to eradicate him, to take him out of the picture, to say, what you're selling, Jesus, we don't want. Despite all of that, we can still read in Matthew 28, 6, where it says, he is not there, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Despite all of that, we can still say that Christ is victorious over the grave. Despite all of that, we can still say there's nothing either that Jesus faced or that we can face that he hasn't already beaten through his death and resurrection on the cross. And I alluded to this as I was going through with some of them, but we can look back and we can say, oh yeah, that was really bad then. But if Jesus conquered all that stuff stuff then, it also means that all the stuff that is like that from then that happens today is conquered too so the things that you're facing that are tough and horrible and grim we know because it's already been said that Jesus has risen and conquered that and what's more he doesn't just do that and then say aren't I so clever but he invites us into the victory that he won The victory that is his, he shares with all those who put their trust in him. And so why don't we take a quick moment just to think about what are the things that you're facing at the moment? Do you know that Jesus has conquered those things? He's beaten them. He's won the victory over them. And he invites all of us who believe and trust in him to share in those things. So that brings us to a question then, doesn't it? If that's what Jesus did, the question is, how should we respond? Now, initially... In this passage, Matthew 28, there's a line in verse 9 that talks about how people grasped his feet and worshipped him and kissed his feet. And as a preacher, that's a gift because it's like, there we go. Like, it talks about worship at the end of the passage. We can just go into worship at the end and it's beautiful and it just lines up really nicely. And we could totally do that. But actually, the more I spent time with this passage, the more I was struck by a phrase in 28 verse 8. It says, so, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. They ran from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Now, I absolutely love this phrase, and the more I've sat with it, the more I'm like, that's a phrase for, for this moment, if ever I've heard one. And and most of our culture today stops with the afraid bit and just full stop, done. It's only because of Jesus and his resurrection that we can say afraid, yet filled with joy. It's what Jesus did that brings that second bit. And the thing with the afraid, yet filled with joy is it kind of addresses two kind of equal errors that I think I see people make so on the one hand we can absolutely hammer the afraid bit and you know that's there's all sorts of horrible stuff going on 
in the world, both systemically and on a societal level and also within the lives of individuals. So fear and worry and all that kind of stuff is completely normal. But to hammer the afraid bit with nothing in relation to the joy bit misses out half the story. Misses out the key part of the story. So if you're someone for, for whom your life at the moment, it feels like it's dominated by fear or pain or hurt or upset, let me tell you first of all, there's space for that. Of course there is. We're not about burying our head in the sand. We'll get to that in a second. We're about facing up to the realities of life. But for a Christian, the way we do that is through the lens of the cross and resurrection that always brings hope. So if we don't want to do the afraid bit, we also want to be wary of the just doing the with joy bit. We've all met the person who is relentlessly optimistic even when everything's falling apart around them. And sometimes it's laudable and it's good and we want, you know, we want, to, we want to see it and we say that's good. There's things to affirm in that. But it's really not helpful in the midst of really difficult, painful, challenging things to have someone who just says, yeah, but hope. That, that approach, afraid yet filled with joy, both of those together to my mind, characterize a Christian response to what we see around us. And to be clear, there will be a day, there will be a day when the afraid bit disappears. There will be a day when the afraid bit disappears and we are left with the joy. See, Jesus rose. He came back from the dead. And at that point, he, he inaugurated or he, he, he brought in a new creation. And he ascended into heaven with the promise that one day he's going to come again and fully bring in what he started with the resurrection. And when he comes again, that is the point at which the, the, the afraid bit of that phrase will go once and for all. And all those who believe and trust in him will be people who are marked solely by the joy that comes from knowing him. One of my favorite passages of scripture is taken from Revelation 21. Revelation 21, one to five. It's not gonna be on the screen, so just listen as I read it. It says this, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Being a Christian doesn't mean ignoring the difficult stuff that you're going through. 
and just burying your head in the sand in relation to the things that you see going on around you. It means acknowledging those things at the same time as acknowledging that ultimately Jesus has won the victory over those things. And we run them parallel for a time with the promise that one day the afraid bit is going to come away and that the hope and the joy that comes only from Jesus is going to be ours for eternity. And so as we think about that, as we reflect on that, as we... Um, as God's people think about the key thing about Christianity without which there is no Christianity we're going to respond by coming to communion and the thing about communion is that it reminds us of what Jesus has done in the past it meets us in our present and it propels us into the future. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.